0: So it was 15 million and then later it was changed to 10. so he came again a few months later and now it's 10 million inexplicably so I see my oh, heart it, and it's got a 10. then a couple of years later he pitches up and I've done the lady Justice cartoon and I saw him again I, I, I promise you I did I, I saw him at the gate and I said, "Oh, is that asshole suing me again?" Oh! And he just pissed himself laughing
1: <laughs> what's up hustlers? Welcome to the Matt Brown show. Cartoonists. They say that cartoonism is simply organized gossip, but in South Africa, a simple cartoon represents far more than trivial gossip. For Jonathan Shapiro, aka Zapiro, his cartoons have become a nationwide talking point for over 25 years. He has been published over 27 times, was the first cartoonist to win a category prize in the CNN African Journalist of the Year Awards, has held solo cartoon exhibitions in New York. London and Frankfurt and many in South Africa and through his running commentary on local political developments he has become personal friends with the likes of Nelson Mandela and Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Not surprisingly then his work has ruffled the feathers of certain corrupt politicians in South Africa and on this episode of the Matt Brown Show we explore his very personal account of taking on the political establishment through his work. We also dissect the little-known inner workings of his creative process and how he has managed to find the courage to continue to be one of the most honest and courageous voices in journalism and media. So without further ado, enter Zapiro. Thank you, thank you. (laughs) Feel free to ring your own bell. (laughs) We license it out around these parts. (laughs) Kind of looks like the shower. It does. (laughs) It does look like the shower here. And it's the shower that you featured in many cartoons, right? Mainly about Zuma. Uh (laughs) Um, But first, I want to tell you a funny story. This is actually quite a special day for me. Uh, For the simple reason that my mother, when I was 17 years old, she gave me one of your books, I believe. Um, and I was looking at these cartoons and I was like, what the fuck is this stuff? This guy's off the wall, you know. Um, and it's a funny thing because two decades later, here we are. So really awesome to have you on the show, dude. So um, please clap that up. Hello. That was a personal clip. <laughs> fuck sex. Useless, useless. You're all fired. <laughs> <laughs> so, dude, welcome. Um, let's talk about Zapiro, right, mm. uh, which is in and of itself as a brand, Right. Um, You've done just some incredible work. I mean, I've just been going through your Wikipedia page. I mean, obviously, we do research and stuff like this. I mean, I don't know how much of this is true to the interwebs, you know. Um, But, I mean, dude. I don't know either because I haven't gone and checked. Haven't you? (laughs) You, I think a long time ago, I've looked at some. I really, I I haven't looked for
0: ages, so I don't know what's right. Okay, hold on, hold Um. on.
1: Just just the headlines here. Zupira has published 25 annual cartoon collections.
0: Uh, Not quite. I've published, at that stage, probably I've published 25 books, but… Because uh, I've published, I'm just on my twenty third annual now. Mm. Uh, we just published the twenty third one, but I've also got this book okay. and Democracy and Vuvuzela Nation. Those are, that's one on democracy, one on sport, mm. and the big one on Mandela. So, what am I actually on? 27 books, okay. see, twenty seven books. See, twenty years. Twenty three <laughs> of them annuals. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> but, dude, and then like CNN African Journalist of the Year Awards. I mean, just and a household name in this country. And
0: by the way, I was I, I like got a category award in the. I got a category award in the CNN. There was no co- uh, category for cartoonists. I you got the made sport that. I got the sport award
1: <laughs> for cartoons <laughs> across
0: Africa. Really? For a cartoon I did on our losing the the bid for the 2006 World Cup that we put in. Of course we then got the 2010. But I got uh, that that was the cartoon where Africa's falling out of the the World Cup. And oh in fact I got I got uh, that idea came from some people who did a photographic thing at the Swetten. so I'll credit them and I made it into a cartoon that really worked and yeah. somehow this was the first time I entered one of those competitions and there was no category and it was across Africa so mm. that was a real windfall I mean I don't think that, uh, so I got that and then after that I've got a lot of local awards and a couple of few international ones but that was uh, quite a nice windfall yeah. to have yeah,
1: yeah I, dude it's just incredible right so um, but you know to understand where we are today, you've got to go back all the way back, right? Um, obviously, we're both from Cape Town. Whoop whoop! Yeah. Uh, <laughs> some of us still live there, not yeah. me. <laughs> but um, no, it's a weird place. It yeah. is a weird place. What a hippies, dude! What happened with that? Hey? I mean, I don't it even. Was think like it was like cool in the nineties, you know. I don't know
0: even mean. think about the hippie part of it as, as the weird part. I mean, what's um, the weird part of it? The weird part for you know when I was involved in struggle stuff in the eighties, mm. I had a circle of friends that was. Very kind of multicultural, and and we felt that Cape Town was kind of progressive, and we felt it was more liberal than the rest of the country, and it was like on the edge, and you know, was cutting edge, and this, that, and the other. And when uh, democracy came, uh, Cape Town kind of went into its shell in a strange way, and suddenly you have that thing where you know young black people come to South Africa, come to South Africa, come to Cape Town, um, and uh, and and feel marginalised. Uh, even the parliamentarians, um, they're not he, the, the, the black middle class hasn't really burgeoned there because of the the, the coloured labour preference. Um, that was that policy that sort of tried to keep African people in 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 in, in uh, rural areas that they then called homelands. You know all of that. So Cape Town historically was kind of weird, and then it just became weirder. After democracy, I, and I, it's something that I really worry about because I, I love Cape Town. We go walking a lot in the mountains, go riding. I love the place, and I've got a lot of great friends there. But it's it's sort of almost like an island now. It's kind of like drifting off.
1: Yeah, it's like um, I'm immigrating to the Republic of Cape Town. Yeah. <laughs> I, I li-
0: in the last couple of years, I've just seen a few places where things are starting to shift a little bit. But it's definitely not like coming here to Joburg and, and, and really feeling that kind of buzz of a city that is really part of the new South Africa. We we still gotta get there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well yeah. it's a work in progress, right? Yeah. Yeah. So where did your spark come from? Like you know what I mean? It's like you've just done so many amazing executions creatively. Like, but where did it come from? Like, when? What was the day? You I know, mean, I know that you, you, know, you kind of refused to pick up arms during the, mm. the struggle and that kind of stuff. Um, and then, but then, like, what happened? Like, was it a conversation that you had with someone? Was it like a thing in the shower? Like, where you just pissed one night and said, "Hey, I'm going to go draw on the wall"? <laughs> <laughs> like, what was the spark? Well, you, know? you
0: know, you you talked about getting a book from your mother when you you were what do you say you were about seventeen or something. But yep. when, when I was three or four is the earliest i remember of seeing the great english cartoonist giles who was actually yeah. quite a, a lefty more of a lefty than i realized then i didn't really understand that aspect to him what i understood was the brilliant drawings that really spoke for like the underdog for the ordinary people for the working class people but i didn't really understand that as left wing yet and it wasn't it's not like hardcore left wing it was it was sort of soft left wing it was kind of like like one in the face of the the of the rich and the powerful and the whatever and the and the the lords and the w- all that, and then I understood I started to understand that he was quite subversive in that way, um, but those drawings were incredible. I used to especially look at the covers, so that was my first sort of inspiration: is looking at the covers of Giles books when I was three, four years old. And what was I he
1: drawing? Because I remember that Giles. Mm. What was th- what was he drawing? He about? he drew. He had a, a
0: particular family. His was sort of social commentary rather than hardcore political. Uh, he had a family uh, where there was a little kid called Stinker. I don't know why we know that his name was Stinker because I can't ever remember seeing it written down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, <it laughs> and he had he had like that sort of wild hair. You couldn't see his eyes. It's kind of li- and he was he was a really naughty little kid, and then there were the the twins and the. the funny little bunch and an Auntie Vera who was like a stick insect. She was always sick. And the grandma who was absolutely wild and she's a real part inspiration I think for Madame and Eve's grandma. I mean I imagine because she's like the original grandmother. Like he did wild Madame
1: Eve. Didn't he Giles? No who did Mad who did, Meneve, who did uh, um no, Madam Eve
0: is R- Rico, Rico and Stephen Francis. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, Rico's okay. Austrian by birth and Stephen but although I think he was South African born, I'm not sure. Uh, Stephen Francis is a New Yorker, oh, and really? so they, he brought that whole American sensibility yeah. to to Madame and Eve. And it's really great because it's kind of got that insider outsider thing. Came here and he saw this weird relationship between domestic workers and the, and the so so called madams. Who and he thought this is, this is great cartoon material. So he they they, they were doing that from the early 90s. But um yeah, so Giles was he, he was he started really in during the, the war, the Second World War. He I've got one of his books from nineteen forty six that he put together of stuff during war absolutely brilliant, much more political. And yeah, but then after that it was things like um Peanuts. Uh although there is a little story that sort of started me off. It's true. My mom um, saw that I was having some uh, bad dreams, nightmares, whatever, and she said, draw them. And she understood that I used to draw, and I drew these monsters with teeth and claws and and, and like fearsome things, and it kind of helped.
1: Stay with us. We'll be right back. Because you're, you're getting it out of you and making mm. them less real than what can is possible in your imagination, right? Yeah. And that's what's really interesting about you, because you've had this uncanny ability to actually translate what's in your imagination onto paper, which then resonates with like the minds of and imaginations of of the general public. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, what do you attribute that to? Like, is it you the craft? Like, is it <laughs> you know the idea itself? Like, what is that thing?
0: Look, I, one thing that that has struck me. A lot recently is that in in a way if you think you take every person sitting here and yourself and me um, all of us are cartoonists when we kids little kids because when you like three years old and you draw you just draw whatever's in your head and it can be rude and can be it's straight unfettered it's unhindered by kind of protocols of society and it's all of that Mm -hmm. and it's very expressive and children's drawings are amazing, and they look like cartoons, a lot of them. And in, and what happens is that as you get to sort of five, six, seven, people are starting to kind of push you in certain directions. And the people who stay with stay the course and say, "I actually like that kind of wild, crazy, unfettered, like strange, quirky way of looking at the world," we just continue, like where all of us started from. That that for me is how cartoonist you, your head, it's your headspace that says, "I still want to be in that space." That, that, for me, is very strong.
1: This edition of the MapRound Show is brought to you by networkspace.co.za. In fact, our studios are here in building number four at Network Space up in Johannesburg. These guys have made us a huge deal, have really bent over backwards to give us the kind of service that most exciting businesses deserve. If you want more information about Network Space, you can actually come and check out our studio we are always open to meet new entrepreneurs and business owners from around the country and you can do that right here at networkspace.coza so where did your passion for the political narrative come from was Mm -hmm. it was it a thing of that you were just like you know screw this this needs to be told in a way that people can all understand where it breaks Mm -hmm. down you know cultural differences backgrounds religious creed you know whatever the fuck that is Um, And so cartoons have a way, to your point, it's funny, Mm. like what's the one thing that kids watch all the time? Cartoons, Mm, right? right. Even today, my kids just like, God forbid you turn off YouTube. (laughs) DEFCON 3, (laughs) straight (laughs) off the bat, you know? Um, And so cartoons, funny enough, are just something that we all relate to. Yeah. But where did the political thing come from?
0: The political thing in in some ways came from my mother. My mother was a big influence on me and she was somebody who was a refugee from the Nazis. She had uh, fled Nazi Germany with her family, but she was very young. She was seven, eight years old. They had gone to live in England. She experienced the Blitz in London, but being a Jewish family who had to escape and luckily did. Um, one of her, one set of grandparents, like got out of a window and escaped from the Gestapo by minutes. Um, and luckily, nobody in the extended family, a large extended family, was actually taken to any of the death camps, which is is quite amazing, considering they lived in Berlin until quite late. Mm. So she always had that sensibility, but I think even people in in her family didn't feel the kind of commonality with people other than persecuted Jews in the way that she did. She was the one who started to understand that never again means never for anyone, not just never for Jews. So when she, m- she, she, she went to a qu- quite a progressive boarding school in Britain and then she met my dad when they met at London School of Economics when they were, uh, you know, that's where Mick Jagger was and that's a r- real cool place. But, um, so but before Mick Jagger was there, they, they met and they came to live in South Africa and it was sort of, you know, now she's got to deal with apartheid. She went marching with a torch commander and um, my father's parents freaked out and so she was always a frustrated activist. Mm. and But she kind of, kind of imparted a lot of what she believed to us, to myself and my siblings. And we, from a very young age, understood that there was evil around and that we were privileged and that things were, things had to change. So we knew that, but the thing is, like how, do you how to do that? Like uh, all through school I knew it. I used to argue with my peers. There were very few of us who really saw that sort of thing. But I didn't really do much. Even at varsity, I did a little bit. Um, by that time, I absolutely knew, and I. D- but I, uh, I didn't do a huge amount. I'd helped a bit on the protests. I did this and that and the other. I went and got banned pictures of Mandela and put them on posters and did all that sort of stuff. But that's not really putting yourself on the line. And the thing that really moved it for me was um, being conscript- conscripted. When I couldn't stay out of the army, and the the day that I found that I was. Three weeks away from actually going i'd s- been studying architecture, mm. and I' suddenly th- okay now i'm now I'm going to fight the system and then i I decided to i I had to go because I didn't have any more money to go out the country or I couldn't go into yeah t- into exile or jail six years or whatever, so I went to the army and refused to carry a gun, and that was the beginning of something kind of weirdly quirky. I was a sort of a walking cartoon
1: um yeah, my dad used to threaten me. With, <laughs> you will go to the army. I'm like, no, I'm not. No, you will go. You know what I'm saying? So like, uh, and that mm-hmm. I didn't even get. And you know what? The the year before I left school, they abolished it. It was like that. Wow. But I mean, you know what I mean? Like, my dad was in the military. Like, yeah. he was in Afghanistan for seven years and all that yeah. kind of stuff. So, like, I understand the pressure, right? Where did where do you find your? Well, let me rephrase. What do you believe about the narrative around politics? that others don't and that you potentially like latched onto that allows mm. you to express endlessly by the way <laughs> mm. <laughs> um you know what you do in your work. Well look I I, I
0: early on latched onto progressive thought and left wing uh politics and I started to kind of understand but I didn't really as I said I didn't really even when I was in the army I was still a little bit of a loose cannon because I w- there were people there who'd been through SAS and who'd been uh, detained by security police and had been on the run and had been investigated and all that. And I hadn't. So I was like, I'm just gonna get in their faces because I didn't have the consequences yet. So they were like, Dude, like what are you doing? sort of thing. I, I and I would I I got investigated by military intelligence, I got involved in the in the UDF, United Democratic Front, when it began, when I was in the army and um and I w- I went within Within a few weeks, I was arrested for the first time in the army, but in my UDF shirt and the photograph by military intelligence jumping around with my, you know, but I didn't care because I hadn't been, you know, I, I hadn't been in detention. I hadn't. I've been arrested but I nothing uh, Trevor Manuel by the way bailed me out in the <laughs> the first time in uh, 1993 Trevor yeah <laughs> we go way back yeah, you know yeah, yeah. Uh, like, why don't you name d-
1: drop some more there were like 50 <laughs> uh, uh, believe me there's <laughs>
0: lots of names that come up in these. Yeah, sure. he, he was he was uh, he was actually quite a bricker Trevor he was, was a he really he's a big strong guy he used to wear a leather jacket uh, he was a good guy to have at meetings. Um, <laughs> no, no, no. That's a side of Trevor that not everybody knows anymore. Yeah. No, Trevor's. Yeah, you know, he was. A, he's anyway. He came. There were 15 of us, and uh, so I was just one of 15. But my name happened to be the, the 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 top of that list. So the army saw. You know, I was actually on detached duty from the army. I was in the navy. That's uh, hard to understand. But anyway, and uh, it doesn't really matter. But I, th- there there was my name in the newspaper. Jonathan Shapiro and 14 others. Or, and and there was another guy in the army who was arrested on the same day on another side of town, and it, he happened to be on the top of his list. So it was it was Mike Abrams and 24 others. So there were these two army guys, uh, which later, by the way, the ANC said, no, 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 you can't do it anymore. For a while there, you could be a comrade and in the army. Eventually they said no, but, and I had to, to stick it out. for. I was there for two years. Um, I got arrested a couple of times while I was in the army. I had to appear in court many times. Um, I used to put up UDF stickers where I was working in the army and Free, m- free Mandela things that I. And then I was starting to design logos. And so I'm all, all my m- information was coming from good, solid, progressive sources. I was working with great comrades who were much more experienced than I was. I was very junior, but I was finding a way to use the cartoons to express. Political understand the very first thing I did for the UDF was banned in 1983. It was banned, uh, not banned for possession, but banned for distribution. Mm. Uh, and after that, a number of things got banned. So yeah, that period of from 83 to 88, uh, a huge amount of experience. And then I, w- I was also in the army when the end conscription campaign began, and I started. I, I actually was sitting at a meeting. When it was announced that there was going to be this thing, and I kind of started playing ECC, and I came up with the chain logo during that meeting, presented it to them at the end of the meeting. They said, "Draw it up." Became the logo that was on.
1: So that was it. Was an exciting time.
0: It, it was. It was good.
1: Geez, dude, I've, I've I'd love to just spend like several days listening to all the stories about consequences in your world because, <laughs> like, we were talking before we went live. but like you've been sued twice by Jacob Zuma. You what? Just like, give me the headlines or for our listeners out there. Like some of the consequences that come to mind, just to to illustrate what you've had to endure mm. over the years. Look, the being sued by Zuma uh, is not
0: the. I well, it's that's not the one worst one. I mean, the let's the talk about things. the main ones. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it it, it it was big. The very first time, uh, essentially, the first time that the the that that I t- saw there was going to be a lawsuit. That was quite a moment because uh, you know a guy in uniform rings the doorbell the gate and i kind of let him in and i see he's like i don't know what uniform he's wearing because but he comes up to me and he's got these papers and then it says uh it's like i see it's legal papers and it's from jacob zoom and it says 15 million rand so like my stomach goes right through the floor kind of and but that was really quick i was like come off it man are you mad you're a politician and you're suing a cartoonist for 15 million rand and you're not even going to win and i said stuff that so the next co- day i did a cartoon where i have myself sitting in the in a, in a like chair you're like, like the worst guy to pick a fight with <laughs> Yo, well, well, you're going to pick a fight with a cartoonist. Then, so you're crazy and then yeah. knowing that yeah, and then yeah. you
1: carry on doing it because he did it a second time yeah.
0: so so then i did it i did a cartoon of myself it's in the it's in the book it's it's i'm sitting at my desk zuma arrives in my studio and he says i'm suing for damage to my reputation and i say to him would that be your reputation as a disgraced chauvinistic demagogue who can't control his sexual urges and who thinks a shower prevents aids and uh, <laughs> oh, and, and i included the three cartoons that he sued me for i put them back into the cartoon because he's holding them so you know th- and it went on from there uh, so then but, but funny thing about that sheriff the funny thing was so it was fifteen million. And then later it was changed to ten. So he came again a few months later, and now it's ten million inexplicably. So I see my oh, hazard, it, and he's got a ten. Then a couple of years later, he pitches up, and I've done the lady justice cartoon. And then I saw him again. And I, I, I promise you, I did. I, I saw him at the gate, and I said, "Oh, is that asshole suing me again?" <laughs> <laughs> and he just pissed himself laughing. <laughs> <Did> <laughs> the really? sheriff in uniform. No, yeah. Really, yeah. <laughs> so it was, it, I mean, that 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 did happen.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I mean, what else, I mean, outside of lawsuits and stuff, which is probably like bread and butter, mm. you know, I mean... What well, see, it,
0: it I, I don't want to make too light of it, it it's mm. not bread and butter, and it involves mm. a lot of people, and the newspapers were mm. very supportive, I must say, independent newspapers before they were taken over and destroyed by Iqbal Survey, so, um, uh, not that, yeah, but anyway, so that independent supported me for the one lawsuit, and the Sunday Times, uh, before they were taken over and destroyed by... And like black star or death star or whatever they call themselves now but they um <laughs> but uh, no actually look there have been some great people at, bu- at, at those at those newspapers great great people great people and great editors that i've worked with yeah it doesn't mean the owners are always good but the great <laughs> great <laughs> great, <laughs> great editors i've worked with and great journalists and 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 rea- people with real mm. passion montley Makanya was at the sunday times when um. when I the second time i got sued by Zuma. He was the he, d- he was the editor of when I got sued for the Lady Justice cartoon, yeah. and uh, the, um, I've had gr- fantastic editors in all the publications I've worked for. But sometimes there are weird things that have you you know you've seen what's been happening at the Sunday Times. There've been there've been issues, mm. and I took issue with some of the stories that they were doing yeah. on this the like the, the the SARS rogue unit and all that. There's a story about that in the in the mm. in the book.
1: Yeah, I mean, so that Lady Justice cartoon. Sorry, yeah. sorry, you did
0: ask me other things. Well, the bad stuff oh, yeah. is stuff like, well, I've been in detention without trial. Uh, it was in the old days. Um, that wasn't that wasn't nice, and that it was also, you know, they pick you up at three in the morning, and take you in those days to Polesmoor in, in the Cape, and then I got put in solitary confinement for five days because I was refusing to answer questions, and you have no idea how long you're going to be there. So that's that's <laughs> that was tough. I've I have been I've re- I've had death threats a number of times, mm. and that's been bad. The, the police have been actually really good. i say that. Mm. But at death threats or uh, not at death threats? <laughs> uh, at, at, at <laughs> they've assigned <laughs> a, a good detective who's who's uh, you know I can you know I've got on dial and just and um, and they've been very helpful and they've tried their best to to help. So that's been good. Mm-hmm. I've also been I've I have been beaten up quite badly during the World Cup the fan walk when I was identified for some of the cartoons that I did so that was that was that was not liquor um, a bouncer a bouncer they sent a bouncer after me and I turned around and he smashed me in the face and mm. then in the cheekbone and then blood everywhere and mm. it was that was scary
1: so what do you like s- that well dude like but this is fascinating for me right because I think like every every single successful person however they choose to define it that I've had on the show has had to enjoy like incredible amounts of like shit you have to eat a lot of shit to get to where you need to you know what i mean That's and I, I it is fucking disgusting you're right but um but in like what do you say to yourself when that kind of thing is happening because it's kind of like you know there's things that you can control and there's things that you can't control i don't mind if it happens within my control because then i can go well hey You know what i was responsible for that i was accountable for that but then you have scenarios where things happen from without your control but they're yet they are devastating to your emotional health your physical health or whatever those are the things that really bother me like personally but in your world what do you say to yourself when this this kind of crap life's throwing the stuff to you what do you say to yourself to like keep going one of the things is that Some of the
0: things are so fascinating and interesting and actually quite exciting when those weird things out of your control happen. So I have to sometimes say that when some of the really awful ones happen, I I know that they've been offset by some of the ones that have had interesting consequences. And even more offset by the incredible great stuff that comes with being a cartoonist and being and becoming known as well. There's, it, I've I've had so many good things happen, and I've been able to make a career out of it, which I never really thought about. I mean, I really didn't think about it as career. I thought about it as passion and 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 tr- and trying to say something, trying to do something important, uh, and and something that would mean something to other people and to myself. So yeah, but the but the 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 the, the hard stuff, like, look, if I tell you about. Th- I reckon some of the most difficult things that, that I find difficult to control are the way that in the past decade with social media, uh, and I'm sure you've had it, I'm sure everyone has had it in some way or another, the way that there, there can be kind of lynch mobs that take one sentence or one word or one part of a drawing or one whole drawing out of context and can really almost destroy you. And that's happened, that's happened to me once or twice. And it is... Absolutely devastating. And I think that's probably been the worst thing that I've had to contend with, really. Worse than any of the things I, I was talking about earlier. Uh, but some of the other I, con, the things that you don't expect, the consequences are, are really incredible. Like uh, One time I heard that, and there's a story in this book, Mokoteri mshe who's the guy who like dropped the charges against Zuma. He was the acting head of the NPA. Apparently, he, he told Billy Downer, the prosecutor at the time that the reason he dropped the charges against zuma was because he saw a cartoon of himself hounding zuma running behind him trying to trying to pin the charges on him zuma like he, he's the front runner all the other contenders were behind only mokotedium shares like keeping up with zuma he's trying to pin the charges on him and he got so embarrassed that he said i can't charge him before polakwani Now, that wasn't a good thing that he didn't charge, but what I'm saying is it's fascinating. It makes for a great story, Mm. and it didn't really hurt me. Except, you know, you could say you blame me for Zuma, but uh, that wouldn't really be fair. But there are things like that where the the cartoons have had really strange and interesting stories, which I then get a a chance to kind of tell, and I'll I'll try and tell in different form at another time. So there's lots of that, and then, of course, you know, the cartoons take me around the world, and Mm. I've been to, I think, I think about, 15, 16 countries on the strength of the co- uh, cartoons spoken at gatherings and all that. So and TED. Yeah, well, not a full TED talk. I've done TEDx a couple of times. Not, not, uh, not a full
1: TED Great, talk. So you can just say that it was a TED talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm not going to... you just got to own that fake, shit. No, <laughs> fake news, fake so, news. Okay, cool. We're going to do um, Quote of the Day. Hold on a second and bring it over.
0: Yeah, Quote of the Day. There are four ways of interpreting the world. religion, Politics, sport, and art, and the first three are unreliable. <laughs> that was David Harris, an <laughs> English playwright. Uh, that was told to me by one of my very good friends um, at Daily Maverick, actually. So oh. I only heard that recently, and I thought it's really, really speaks to me. So, though you, you, you actually kind of asked for a quote on sort of entrepreneurial thing for me. Interpreting the world mm. is more important than try to think of yourself as an entrepreneur. So you, if you interpret the world in a way and that becomes your passion, you become really good at that, that is, that's how this connects with being entrepreneurial. If you then, like you, that becomes your thing and you've got something that you're saying which is different from other people and, and is good and strong and whatever. Maybe, then maybe you will, in a way, become an o- entrepreneur. If you're lucky, you can become an entrepreneur using that stuff, but to think of yourself as an entrepreneur
1: Mm. it's just a label it's a it's
0: it's it's got no substance you know
1: yeah you know what you have just said has come up before because entrepreneurship is all about interpretation in fact i would regard i mean i've interviewed not just entrepreneurs but just you know sportsmen and so on and so forth um and it's all about how you interpret stuff do you know what i'm saying like All that stuff that was happening to you like you could have either let it define you or but you didn't you let it push you forward failure like all the things that life throws you away that quite frankly are either in or without your control doesn't matter it's all the same game do you know what i mean uh and it is all about how you interpret it um what words of advice do you have to uh, a human being out there (laughs) who's battling with life or potentially has a problem some form of pain um what words of wisdom do you have about dealing with that and interpreting things in a way that empowers you not you know negates your self-worth and that kind of stuff
0: look i i would I, w- I really think that if if i try and come across as if i know the answers i'd be like an unmarried marriage counselor i mean i i really think that that's it's i i don't think that i I'm, I'm gonna say anything that that like it's gonna work for everyone but if i think about what worked for me I mean, I actually initially lost confidence in the idea of being a cartoonist. I wanted to be a cartoonist from when I was eight or nine years old. What I wanted to be was the assistant to Hergé, who did Tintin, uh, and I, who I tried to meet when I was young. I actually like tried to chase him down in in, in Brussels and man- and missed him by one day and man- managed to get to his studio. But that's part of the chase, part of like trying to un- understand. That's what I'm saying. Like. Eventually, I regained the confidence. I went, to, and I also went to meet Udozo in Paris, the one who does. Uh, the, the ad, the, he's the artist of Asterix. Okay, uh, 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 yeah, yeah. love and that. And I actually,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. I'll, he named off Sorry, me
0: I, I listen. This is only the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, you, you've been around as long as I have. You'll you'll meet people. But that was uh, what chasing my dream. Meant going to try to meet people who somehow had done it, and I like asked them, "How the hell did you do it? What was their... I also wanted to see how, where do they learn? Where do the European cartoonists, the ones who w- work in Europe, in in in, in Brussels and, and the ones in in Belgium and in in France, they have a certain style? Like, do they go to a school or do they do it? It turns out they do a sort of apprenticeship. In those days, it was now there are more schools available. But yeah, the, the, the when I went to meet Udo, uh, I actually landed up getting lost in Paris, mm. and I stood outside his door of his very posh apartment on the outskirts of Paris at 11 o'clock at night, well, at 5 to 11. And eventually I, I rang the doorbell at 5 to 11, at 11 o'clock. And he answered the door and he was hell of a nice to me. Huh. And it was, but the, so the point, what would I say? You may take a circuitous route. It may not go the way you want to go. But if you keep thinking about the stuff that does make you tick, the stuff that really is your passion, mm. and you find a way to get back into that, don't maybe don't specialize too quickly try and keep your options a little bit open within the field that you want to be in you might find an opportunity opening up and you might get the chance and then you're probably going to have to do at least one of those leaps of faith where you throw th- I th- left architecture uh, which I you know could have continued and whatever what happened I got conscripted I got immediately conscripted and uh, suddenly I found myself in the bloody Army but weird other things opened up for me I, w- I also found that g- I got a degree that I'd I was one of the first people to get that Bachelor of Architectural Studies degree uh, because anyone who started my year or later um, and who finished three years, which is what I finished, academic years, I, th- I found myself getting a, a letter in the post saying, congratulations, you graduate on this. Like after I'd left, you graduate. So I went and I graduated. I thought that's not going to help me necessarily. Mm. But years later, it did because then I became an activist and then I decided I wanted to go and study overseas my wife then my girlfriend said to me why don't you try and apply for a Fulbright I said well they never, uh, my academic record is crap but she said oh, maybe but my I had a good portfolio and a good social activism I got a Fulbright scholarship which I couldn't have got if I didn't have that degree even though I had a crap academic record so you know that's all i all i would say is keep the keep the faith with yourself and find a way back in and 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 that's if if you end up working in the in the place that is your passion you've got more of an opportunity of really doing something meaningful than if you end up just doing something because you feel that's the only practical way
1: yeah like your vacation or something like that <laughs> So, I mean, but that's pretty much what's happened with this podcast, right? So it's built a media company which employs, you know, 10 odd people you know, and me growing, whatever, but yeah. it all came off just having a chat. <laughs> you know no, what I mean? Like, absolutely. Like, oh, I'm sure that's... Like, my that. book won't be WTF, although as much as I love that title. <laughs> 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 well, you don't have a yeah. shower to put in there. Yeah, no. I know, exactly. It totally you speaks to in, me. In. But, but the know. bell thing, <laughs> yeah, well, you never know, you know? But I mean, like, for me, it'd be like how... My book would be like how... I mean, I've got a book coming out in May, but if I had to write a really big one, it would be how I built a billion-dollar business by just taking an interest in people. Do you know what I mean? Because it was just a simple passion that... You know, reached, you know, listeners in 100 countries around the world and now it's built a media company and blah, blah, blah. So, and that's Ooh, just... nice talking to you. You yeah. know what <laughs> I mean? <laughs> <laughs> but, wow. I mean no. but, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's illustrative. It. I certainly don't know, obviously uh, don't know this industry. No, Jeez. you don't. <laughs> but it's yeah. illustrative, right, yeah. of what you're talking about, yeah. which is passion really does trump a lot of other things, you know. But you got to find that thing. What do you say to someone that doesn't know what that is? I mean, I
0: don't have magic answers. I mean, how can you instill passion... In someone who doesn't have a passion for something, I mean, you have to, I think you have to try and get people to find what it is that really makes them tick because that is ultimately their, their passion. And not everyone will even be lucky enough or will have enough drive or enough, yeah, as I said, there's lots of luck involved to, to end up being able to work in, in, in that way. I mean, I mean, look, that takes me to something else that you actually asked me, so I'm maybe jumping the gun. Go. But you you know, you know, asked me for an injustice, to think of an injustice. That's it, yeah. And the thing that came to mind immediately is accident of birth. Mm-hmm. That for me is an injustice that billions and billions of people across the planet are born into circumstances that are dire. And I feel unbelievably lucky that I was born in circumstances as, as I was. And that idea of accidental birth, it connects with that previous question because some people, no matter how much passion they have, and no, ma- no matter how much they do, their circumstances and not getting a chance to express their vision and not getting a chance to break out of all that stuff. Imagine how many millions, billions of people are kept in a, in a place where they'll never be able to express themselves fully because they just the circumstances are just too dire and 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 it's just and it, stuff happens it should happens that you just cannot even believe so yeah um I, that's why i'm saying i'm not i don't have any it's not like you know malcolm gladwell in the ten thousand hours
1: it's not like that's going to work for everybody i mean you have to have the opportunities to mm. do that stuff So, thanks for jumping the gun. Uh, (laughs) So, um, in fact, while we're on the Injustice League, we're not going to ask you to swing a baseball bat, but we are going to ask you to draw a cartoon on our studio wall here. You can pick any brick that you want. You don't have to do it now. We'll carry on chatting. Um, But then we'll get some photos around that. So that's going to be awesome. If anybody wants to buy a brick, um, please, you can send a mail to hello at digitalkungfu.co.za. This edition of the Map Run Show is proudly brought to you by... Empty Trips. These people, these ladies, these street hustlers just can't stop winning awards. It's unbelievable. They picked up an award just last week at Singularity University, most exciting startup. Empty Trips have developed a directional space matching AI to better pair volumes to underutilized vehicles already on voyages. In short, they make logistics awesome. Check out emptytrips.com for more info. <laughs> um yeah so where was i going with oh yeah we want to play a game let's play a game let's make let's ma- take it to the next level so we're going to play a game of uh, true or false okay okay um so who's going to run this one is it q michelle's doing it okay cool let's pass uh, a mic over to michelle um, so very simply, gon- you're going to hear some statements, um, yeah. and then you can say true or false as okay. it relates to you. Okay. And then we can have a bit of fun about why you think certain things are the yeah. way that they are. Okay. All right, cool. Okay, Michelle, hi, over to you. Hi, I'm
2: Michelle. Okay. So the first one is true or false, the less you know, the more you believe.
0: Uh, I think that's true.
2: Okay. The second well, hang on, wait,
0: why though? Uh, because I, I see people who know zip and you think that they know everything <laughs> and i see people who've learned a huge amount and it just makes them question more okay. so and i th- i think i'm probably I, I i think i know a fair amount and i think i i question and i don't I, th- I sort of start to think i know a lot but then i actually don't end up having the real answers you just have to do the best you can okay
2: okay cool and then the second one true or false uh, journalists should be watch dogs and not lap dogs
0: oh absolutely
2: and then the third one, true or false. As a cartoonist, the details always tell a story.
0: I think that's true. But, uh, but I would have a little rider to that and say that I try and have something that reads overall, mm-hmm. that, that you can get quickly and strongly initially as, a, as something, and then layer it with detail. And if it doesn't add, it takes away. So so the details, if you start adding stuff that doesn't work as well as your first stuff, you can actually dilute it and make it worse. Mm-hmm. So th- so it's a slightly nuanced thing, but I would say that the detail that you do add, if you do it well, it can really add s- nice stuff to it, yeah.
2: Okay. And then true or, true or false, journalism will kill you, but it will keep you alive while you're at it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> true, unfor- unfortunately for, for some people, that's genuinely true. Uh, there are lots of journalists who 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 do actually get killed um so i mean that's that's more true than it should be yeah.
1: just just on that i had alec hogg on the show he sends his regards by the way okay oh, good. yeah good. and we're talking about that exact thing yeah, about like yeah. how brave and courageous journalists act like you i would put you in like a select handful of journalists that have literally shaped the political landscape of south africa one way to say it. um but have had to like endure so much and, and push through and and like find that courage to just say whatever the fuck they need to say to make the point, despite what may come back at them. And what is really fascinating with my chat with Alex, Alec rather, is that he had to leave the country because of these threats, you know? Mm. Um, And I don't think the journal, the journalists, um, Barry, I think was another guy uh, that Alec was talking about, forget his surname now, but it's like, I don't think you guys get enough credit to be fair uh look i in some ways we get a lot of credit and in some ways we it, it,
0: yeah there may be other times we don't i mean as a cartoonist i think i i'm quite lucky i'm quite visible i can get a lot of vitriol but i get a lot of i get a lot of credit and sort of accolades and things as well so th- I'm, I'm quite lucky and there are a lot of other journalists who are doing different kinds of work who say that they envy cartoonists because we do something, and then people go straight to the cartoon, and they look at that first, and it's very and it can be memorable. Mm. So it can say a lot. Uh, that say somebody writes a, a five hundred word or a thousand word uh, article or piece or whatever, and the cartoon says something pretty damn quickly in three seconds. And so you know, we I d- I'm not complaining, but the but the the flip side of that is that sometimes it's difficult to have nuance in a cartoon, and you can get pilloried and taken down for something that you. Are doing that, it gets misinterpreted by people. So, cool. yeah, it cuts both ways.
2: And then uh, the fifth one, um, true or false: If journalism is good, it will be controversial in its nature.
0: I think s- I, I would have to say true. I mean, I wouldn't. I would say that it wouldn't necessarily be true always, but I would say generally true. And I certainly subscribe to that.
2: <laughs> okay, true or false: Cartoonism is organised gossip. <laughs> 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 let's say true. <laughs> okay, and the last one That's fun. Um true or false, the press must be brave as well as free.
1: Absolutely. Okay. True. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for playing you. a game of true or false on the yeah. Matt Brown Show. So let's talk about your book, dude. So WTF, I mean, what is this about? Why should we Deep dive into the yeah. world of Zuma. Well, through cartoons. Y- you just firstly, what
0: it's almost what it isn't. You can see that this is not like the, the the books that some people may be familiar with. My annuals, which are a little bit more horizontal and kind of like glossy cover, and they're one cartoon per page, mm-hmm. uh, with a little bit of text. That that's that's what I do annually and that kind of tells a story of the year and i really think i've been trying to do that tell the story of what's been happening that year this tells a story much longer and a story that i didn't really think i was going to want to tell um if you'd asked me five years ago that i I was going to do a book on zoom i would have said no way because the guy's so distasteful and so corrupt and but i feel that this to to identify the fact that there were these cartoons about him being corrupt, in two thousand and two. And yet he still managed to take the ANC and a lot of other people with him and then became the president. And how did that happen? Then he sold the country. So I think it's actually important. And uh, and not only that, but I've been lucky enough to have all these interesting things happen along the way with the cartoons and with some of the people. So to name drop again. I mean, there'll be (laughs) Pravin Gordhan and and obviously uh, Zuma, not that one necessarily wants to be associated with Zuma, And and other people, Becky, and uh, um, I mean along the way, all kinds of all kinds of things. And I tell a lot of the stories here, not only of the people but of the weird things that happen with the cartoons. So this book, if you know, you open it in certain places, and it's actually it sort of really reads like like a like a book. There are places where there's three cartoons on a page, and then there's lots of text, and uh, there's a there's there's a whole chapter on the Lady Justice cartoon. This one's got less text, but It's a, here, let me, you open there. Oh, this has got some of the cartoons where, some of the photographs where people started wearing showers in in the protests. You know, this shower that I did started to be taken by people and in the protests at the union buildings and all over the place, you'd see people
1: with helmets, with showers on top of their heads. (laughs) and so sorry dude I just saw this bloody photo I, it's like a, a person driving a, a what car is that a, a, a whatever it is it's a hatchback thing with a shower roof. head out the sunroof yeah
0: so <laughs> they, they drive <laughs> past the Gupta's house
1: and then <laughs> they
0: find <divide, laughs> you stick the shower out of the sunroof and, and there's hilarious. all the security guards in the background and people outside the union buildings outside parliament and uh, you know that shower has become such a thing there was this i i, w- I love to tell the story and i've never been able to find the name of the guy but i heard the story and i thought it was really well a couple of them they're really funny these are the kinds of things i tell in this book as well there's, there's a british rapper i don't know if we managed to put the british rapper story in but he came here and that's why i'm trying to find his name but he they said to him you're going to south africa like do you know like sort of, dude do you know Anything about the place? Well, do you know who the president is? He says, "Isn't he the guy with the shower in his head?" <laughs> it's like what the, yeah. the the shower. This guy's got an image of a real person with a shower in his head. Doesn't even know his name, but like that's how the shower has mm-hmm. become associated. Another thing I loved. I was sitting on a platform with a with with a an a couple of academics, and I was at Vitz. I um, flew up for it for the day. And this guy leans across to me, and somebody I know from many years ago, student days actually, and he says, I can't tell you my source, but I'll tell you that apparently in the deaf community, the interpreters use the shower. This is before Malema had started using the shower and all <laughs> that. So he says, Apparently, th- they use the shower to to designate Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, Are you serious? So then I go on radio and I t- and I t- and I talk about this. I say, oh, I love the story is this official letter that then comes and it gets published in the newspapers as well, uh, from from the from the interpreters' union or whatever it is. They say, no, 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 that's not true. Uh, um, uh, the president Jacob Zuma has a very broad forehead, so we we just <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah sure. And then I've heard it again that I go, uh, somebody who goes to, to, to a place where there's kids who are hearing impaired and deaf and whatever. The kids all refer to Zuma as. So there's stuff like that out there, which, and I hear the stuff, uh, you know, and I, it's, that's what I love. The shower thing is insane. Mm.
1: Yeah. It is insane, dude. I mean, that's yeah. the one thing I think people, I mean, I'm fascinated. Those caricatures that you sell, why do people buy them? Is it a bit you like mean wha- like why do they buy the yeah, originals so of the cartoons yeah, th- and things? No, no, no. Um, on your web you can buy like the little, oh, yeah. cl- like the actual things. Like oh, you the mean the, the figurines? The figurines, sorry. Yeah, the, the figurines. here the yeah, somewhere. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're but like, yeah, why do people buy that? Like, what is your insight there? Like you know, why?
0: some, of course, some people want to have Madiba, and some people want to have yeah, the, the arch. Yeah, that I get. But why would you buy Madiba doing that. his dance? Like I mean, I was part of making that. Yeah. You know, he. W- I started doing that dance of his at the end of '94 because I saw him doing that, and I sort of. In a way I like I much before I was doing zuma stuff, I I felt Madiba was defining my cartoons. I was known for my Madiba cartoons and he had a great, great uh so there's a big name drop. Uh <laughs> but but yeah, he actually called me one day. Uh yeah. Did he really? <laughs> he, yes, he did. Seriously. Uh, yeah, and he and and he said, oh, I'm very upset with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I, uh, I said, uh, I'm sorry. What have I done? I've told the story like a ten billion times before, so it is out there in the in the in Say the Say it ether. again. But anyway, <laughs> that but but essentially, it was a long build up, and and he said, no, I just saw that uh, your cartoons wouldn't be in the uh, August. He he wanted to see them every day when he was in Cape Town, and the only way pre pre internet to see them was when they were republished from the Sowetan in the Cape Argus, and then there was I was going to another newspaper. So he loved – and and I said to him, you know, you would have seen – I'm I'm even more amazed that you call me like this because I'd met him four years before that. And I said, in the four years since I met you, you would have seen the cartoons getting more and more critical of the ANC and of government. And he said, oh, but uh, that is your job. So that's what that's sure. the relationship – anyway, uh, people know that I had a relationship of some kind with Mediva and, then, and then that sort of really comes through the cartoons – so there's that. The two to one he's walking on water, and he loves that. He said, "Oh, you got me." Dr-. I went, um, I went to meet <laughs> him. I went to meet him with the, with his little figurine. He now lives in Amanis. I went out to meet him in, in Amanis, and he saw me, away, away, and he says, "There he is!" And he draws me with a big nose. <laughs> <laughs> and then there was a photograph of me and the arch with our two noses together over the figurine. His big nose, <laughs> my big nose. So you know, they, there's that. But why would people buy Juju, and why would they buy Zuma? Mm. It's amazing. People said to me, "You're going to make these and you lose money." We sold out of Zuma. Yeah, I've noticed. We sold out of Zuma. We've got the 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 very expensive ones, the the, the sort of extra collectibles, the ones that are signed by both me and the and the sculptor, and they were the first hundred numbered and all that. Mm. But we only have those left. But the others we still have. But um, yeah, we sold out of Zuma. We still got, and people are buy buy the the Juju. Juju, I met Juju with his one. At the Daily Maverick gathering, so I had this thing, and I sort of ambushed him as he came off stage, and he looks and he and he says, "Oh, Zapiro!
2: bureau," like,
0: ah, yeah. And then he was very, he was all very nice. So we, have had some words on, 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 like in sparring and all that. But he was very nice when I met him, and there obviously a lot of people around. And he's a smart guy. But then he, he looked at this thing and he laughed and he said, "Oh, but it's too big." It's, it's, it's <laughs> Because it was the fat juju. You know, it, was, it, was him <laughs> it was him when he had this u- he's like a little hippopotamus in that drawing, in that, in that thing. <laughs> and listen, I'm on to talk. I had to also lose a lot of weight. I, I, I think he may have lost more than I did, but uh, whatever. <laughs> but uh, he said to me, you've got to make it again. I said, no, I'm not kidding. But, uh, but people buy the juju as well. Um, I
1: don't know it's crazy dude can I just ask you very quickly about your creative process because I can guarantee you that there's creative agencies and people looking at this stuff we do print ads and I mean obviously we do exe- creative executions as well I mean like if you look at all of this stuff I'm fascinated to know from you consistency is like a really big deal right which means that your process creatively is bulletproof to get the same result so Whoa, that's well that's uh, bullet- if, I, if I may compliment if you if you saw me angsting every day you well it's say like that. Right, okay look yeah, but you're yeah. not doing too fucking bad. No, no, you know no But I mean, what so I'm saying
0: is that I second guess and angst uh, along with the best of them. I once did a, a, a cartoon of myself on a, a therapist's couch saying, if I have a day without self doubt, I worry. <laughs> <laughs> Which is true.
1: Yeah, I get you. I get <laughs> yeah. you. But I mean, like all of these things, what is, how would you just, dis- if you were to walk us through just the headlines of your creative process? Like take this thing here with uh, what is this? These four characters from from the Wizard of Oz. Wizard of Oz. Yeah, I mean that
0: that you know that uh, th- that's those are such iconic characters, and mm. there's this is the the whole Poliquani thing. It's uh, in the in the run up to Poliquani, where we we pretty much knew that Zuma was going to win, uh, but uh, Mbeki still kind of thought he might win, mm. but it was really that fight between Mbeki and Zuma. So here you've got the first two characters. You've got. I, th- I start thinking about, like, who are these characters walking along? Well, Tin Man had to be Mbeki mm. because he was re- thought of as too aloof, out of the country all the time, kind of the, 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 uh, too rational, uh, too intellectual, Sorry, ed- ed- educated and lost touch with his base, that kind of thing. So he's the Tin Man. Mm. So he's got no, no heart. Mm. Then, and also he wasn't uh, distributing ARVs. So yep. there's all that. Then, the next one was Zuma, the, the scarecrow, no brain. That was that was like that was kind of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's a no-brainer. Didn't didn't so really take much thinking no. there. And then, <laughs> then you've got the you've essentially got the ANC. Uh, did I put ANC women there? I yeah, don't have my yeah. Glasses. You've
1: got no guts, and uh, then yeah, ANC, no delegates. ANC delegates. That's the, line he so didn't then the lion. So the lion didn't okay. have
0: courage. So you've yeah. got no guts. The ANC delegates because they're going to vote for this corrupt dude. And then, you've got Dorothy, and she is looking pretty kind of pissed off and kind of that. Kind of Doonesbury eyes. Dude, she's so bleak, and she's and she her thing is no <laughs> no faith in delivery. So you have got no no heart, no brain, no guts, no faith in delivery. So that's uh, that's a uh, it was a sometimes it's uh, that's very process oriented. Mm. That one, uh, some of them get a kind of a lateral thinking thing which kicks mm. in, and but that's the part that I can't bottle, and mm. I'm sure you know yep. what I mean. Yep. you can work on your process, your 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 kind of left brain thing, mm. and you can get good at that. But then only every few times, and not certainly not every time, that right brain thing, that lateral these are how the hell did I even think of that? Mm. And as t- if you put enough work and, you and enough kind of mm. experience into the left brain stuff, then the right brain kicks in and you suddenly you've got magic. Mm. But you, you that's not going to happen all the time. Mm.
1: He's going to ask you a really big favor and give my creative team here some creative <laughs> advice. <laughs> because I... I like I'm going to freeze now. Yeah. <laughs> no, but like, okay, you have to have the answer to this one, please. Okay. <laughs> Can't can I
0: just give you that advice that I've just... That, that no. Can I, can I talk about that as advice? Really? is mm-hmm. That's exactly what I would say. Hold on, hold on.
1: Okay. What do How I do about? you teach oh. creative okay. thinking to to a team? Because, and and like, I'm serious because... No, I was talking to you. Not no, not no, but like, <laughs> what is your advice? I mean, no. like, how does one approach uh, creative thinking as a group? I promise you that
0: I would say exactly what I try to say d- back there. That's what I would d- because you brainstorm stuff, I, everything is in the brainstorm. So there's two things Bra- by brain brainstorming because you get a kind of collective thing and you spark off each other. That for me is the big the biggest thing. But along the way with the brainstorm stuff, there is a lot of process and you keep you think you, you, you have that that thing where you're brainstorming, Uh, and you may even think you've got something but then it kind of goes backwards and you think you're still doing the programmatic but you've got to do that programmatic you've got to you've got to keep putting down that experience that you've gained allows you to make interesting good lists that spin off and then you you've got to you you start to use your experience to see which ones should we try and spin off but that but the the that that real creative thing i i think Every person's got to find one or two ways to, to, to sort of un, uncork the the right brain because that stuff as I said that sort of sometimes happens when you go for a run or in my case take a shower or whatever it is a and so yeah I'd say I, I think the brainstorm the continuing use of brainstorm and then the, and then the programmatic stuff make sure you really really work on that on that whole, getting it all together th- as well as you can and then suddenly one of you through that process just gets that spark of genius that you don't even know you where you don't know where it comes from but i think it all starts mm-hmm. that to me is if you work on that process mm-hmm. well that's 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 the way i try mm-hmm. and when when there's a collective thing for me that's fantastic so occasionally i get i work with some of my
1: maverick was, colleagues or other yeah. people and they s- give me ideas and that mm-hmm. that's i say, that hallelujah <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i was just about to ask you like a lot of this must be on your own yeah. so, which is interesting right so yeah you don't use groupthink or you don't use groups yeah. to i mean which i, find I have worked in groups i know you before. do but on yeah. the whole yeah it's mainly you yeah like what, what place do you go to creatively like is there a place that you like do you, do you go to a quiet room do you where do you get your like inspiration mm. from well y- you
0: know there's 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 two kinds of things the one the one is content is, is, and the other is how is vehicle or metaphor or like like just that weird stuff that you don't know and you don't know how that two are gonna link so i just i do that thing of absorb 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 and sometimes i have i have the i have two radio stations on believe it or not I don't know how I do that, but I actually do. I sometimes have one in my ear, and one that's on, and I think, ah, that's going in an interesting direction, and I'll then I'll listen to that one. And I might have the TV on, and I'm got, I'm surfing the net, and I've got newspapers, and I'm like somebody phones me. I mean, so it's like my head is like weird. I've got it's like balls of cotton wool, but I'm trying to absorb the stuff, absorb, 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 and then. It's like I, I actually write down if you if I had my my book my, my so my way of working, and this is where if I talk to cartooning students, I, I've got these. I just have a cheap book because you don't want to be you don't want to have something that is that makes you feel self-conscious. So it's really cheap. I just whack a whole bunch of A4 photostat pages together. That's my books. I've got about seventy of them. Um, you know like that thick. So they are going back to ninety-four. Um, and um and what I do is I write down the subjects that interest me, really. It's, as, it's as, as, as programmatic as I write down the subjects and I write down my attitude towards those subjects. I actually write that down because the process of writing it down helps me to think. And then I suddenly like think, hey, wait a minute, that one connects with that one. I didn't realize that. And I start making these little arrows in a different color. And then I start thinking, wait, wait, if that's something that's very wordy, Am I gonna say it through a try and say it through a comic strip because it needs discursive stuff? Mm. If it's very if it somehow feels like it could be communicated in a big graphic, it's maybe a one panel thing or two panels, like something and then a surprise. But all of it is about surprise. So how do you tell the story and how do you all jokes are about surprise. Mm-hmm. All cartoons are about surprise. Not all cartoons are funny, mm. but they all have the twist. So And all adverts are, uh, tend to be, I mean, no, good adverts tend to be like that as well. I'm yep. sure you know. But they, they, you you get something and then it's the twist that does it. You expect it to end one way and it's the twist. Hmm. So how to get to that twist in a way that it you haven't telegraphed the joke, you haven't telegraphed the thing, you, you really are genuinely surprised. That's where the art comes in. That's where I try and work. So I'm not going to telegraph it, even if it's in one panel. I'm still going to somehow surprise you. Mm. That's so anyway, that's like just my... It's end.
1: perspective, right? That's actually what it's about. It, it Creatively, how do, how do you deliver that in an execution?
0: I, it's like you have your angle and then your angle can be delivered in like a whole lot of different ways. And then uh, that's when I start doing thumbnails and think, should it be done as, a, as, a, as a, a comic strip? Should it be one panel? Should it be two verticals? Should it be... Something that's ridiculously surprising. I showed the kids today uh, one cartoon that I did, where I tried and tried and tried to think of cartoons, and I came up with a hundred different ways to 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 tell a big story and to do all sorts of stuff, and it wasn't working. And then I suddenly, and it was about the r- about the the fact that m- white people have benefited from apartheid. And then I wrote the l- I wrote that line. I suddenly thought, oh my god. And I wrote whites who never benefited from apartheid. And there's a colon. And the whole the whole of the rest of the cartoon is just a white space. Because all white people then and now benefit from apartheid. And it became a, a very well-known and very, uh, quite controversial and very strong. It was one of the strongest cartoons I, uh, I've done. I still put it in talks a lot. And it w- it's about communication. And suddenly the, the absence of anything else was what communicated the message. The fact that every white person has benefited from apartheid. So having nobody there meant that there's nobody, you could not even Joe Slova, you couldn't even put Joe Slova's name there. He benefited compared to his black comrades. So it's that it's c- that's the sort of surprise communication I'm trying to get to as well. Not just it's not always an intense drawing or lots of text. It can be that little. Simple. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Should we take questions? Are you ready? Cool. Um, we've got some questions from our audience. Oh yeah. Here we go. Over to you, Lady Q. <laughs> <laughs> okay.
2: Walter Mike. ask. Walter ask. What's next for Zapiró?
0: Um. Next was a very in one way more of same because I'm still I'm loving working at Daily Maverick, and um, working with people who are. Very, very uh, – I mean, they brought us uh, the hashtag Gupta Leaks and then along with Amabungani Bungani and a few other people which brought the Guptas and, and, and Zuma down. So that's fantastic. And um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm loving doing that and the books that I do and all that. But in the medium term, I do want to do other kinds of communication in cartoons. Like I, I want to write my stories and, and do drawings, you know, like do comic strip style stuff, yeah.
2: Uh, Renee asked, "Does journalism still play its role?"
0: Journalism has played a huge role in the in South Africa and in many other places. I mean, as I said, th- the it's because of journalists and some other people that you've you've actually had the shift in South Africa that can go the good way now. Um, at the same time, there are people who got captured, so it can cut both ways and there's uh, we're dealing with a whole lot of stuff that but on the whole you've got people who are very committed and you've got people who've told great stories and have had a huge impact so journalism is absolutely uh, you know good journalism is out there and it's and and theres and we can be very grateful to some really great journalists in this country
2: okay let me ask how do you feel about fake news
0: well fake news is absurd i mean uh, the f- it's it what what really is amazing is that in the era of Donald Trump and people like him, and people like Putin and Zuma, and uh, and the d- uh, you know there was Berlusconi in, in Italy, and there are there are, there are so many of these people. There's this new the the Philippines Duterte, um, and in Brazil the, the guy uh, I'm b- battling with his name for a second, the black fascist guy. People can um, can come up with things that they, they there's no shame anymore in telling lies it's only if you can tell a convincing lie I mean I- politicians have done that forever but at the moment it really appears that that's fine as long as they can can swing it with their base uh, it d- you know it doesn't even matter to them that they, that they there's no, no shame in, in telling fake news and then whole news agencies like Fox News and whatever they thrive on it that's what they and Breitbart and all that sort of stuff. Uh, it, it's outrageous. So, And, of course, here in South Africa, we had the, the Gupta uh, Channel, the the, the, the ANN7, and we had um, the, 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 what's her name, the New Age. So, yeah, fake news is, is with us. Um, and fake news is still there in what happened to some of those things that happened at the Sunday Times. Some of the journalists got, got taken in.
2: And the last one, Nicole asked, are journalists given enough resources and freedom to do their job?
1: No
0: do you think did you ever think i'd have to do an answer that short
1: <laughs> no and on that bombshell <laughs> so dude listen thank you so much for being on the map round show um i wish you all the very best for this book it is available um all around the country wtf capturing Zuma cartoonist tale go and buy it um i expect a signed copy from you, though. (laughs) Absolutely. Dude, awesome. Great. What a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, man, Great being with you. Thanks. Thanks, all of you. Thanks for checking out the Map Round show, guys. And if you'd like to get the Kung Fu put in your ninja, check out digitalkungfu.co.za.